Today, more than ever, finances are top of mind, right? With the COVID-19 pandemic, it has reinforced not only the importance of having an emergency stash of toilet paper, but also an emergency stash of money. We're going to help you build up your savings today. This is the Seven Figures Podcast, smart money strategies for women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Do you know your auto loan rate? At Advantage Federal Credit Union, auto loan rates are as low as 2.79%. Jeff Taberski, your Sherpa, your personal guide to financial literacy. Congratulations on your book. Thank you. Just out February 18th. Yeah, really exciting. And this is your first book. It is. Yeah, will there be more? Sure, why not? (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, I tell you because I hear a lot of authors say they go into it really excited, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And then little do they know all the work that goes into it and how long it takes. Yeah. You know, the actual process of putting the book together wasn't that bad. I didn't set out to write a book. I really uh-huh. I really set out to start a financial literacy educational service, really a, a separate business, you know, working, um, Presenting in classes, working with companies, working on wellness, get on wellness platforms, things like that. You know, I guess just one cold, boring winter day, I said, you know, I've got all these slide decks and, and thoughts on what I'd say in front of an audience. Why not put it all together into one file and call it a oh. revision one of a book? So sure. the book actually came together pretty quickly. What the reality now is, is just how hard it is to get the word out. Yeah, and, and yeah. really provide some channels of driving traffic to the book site and things like that. We've uh, we've interviewed Sheila Kennedy, who's a publisher, on several times, and she said nowadays it's almost like this is your business card. This validates anything else that you have to say. That's exactly right. And the publisher I'm working with, Authors Place Press, that is their business model. They don't want to just do books. The book is the business card. It's the entry gateway yeah. to the author and they only want to work with authors that have a platform. So, but the book is really for parents. The book is saying, this is a message we've got to get to your kids. It's like, you know, grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking a little bit. This is critical. We've got to get this message to the kids. Probably the kids won't read the book, but I want you to just kind of pretend you're sitting in the back of a classroom listening to what I would tell your kids. Mm -hmm. And if you can get the kids to read it, more power to you. But if you haven't, I do have a broader platform and I've created downloadable audio lessons that, you know, six to nine minutes long, only 11 of them in a you know, total of an hour and 40 minutes. Just you can make, tell you're a parent. You totally Make them understand. do it once a day, once a week. <laughs> they will get through it. Same content as the book, but it's yeah. more the story-based side instead of the yeah. book is a little more structured. You can tell it's kind of written by an yeah. old yeah. engineer and analyst. And that's a pretty big career move that you made, you know, once being an engineer how were you with your finances, though, in the very beginning? I know in the book you gave credit to your mother-in-law, which I'm very impressed about. That doesn't happen often. You said she was that fuel to light the fire. She really was. And I love my own mom. Um, but my wife's mom, Beth, was really special because she was a she was local here. You know, I went to the University of Rochester back in the early 80s, and uh, my wife was one of my college roommate's sisters. And um, so she was local. They were local. And uh, so when we got married and lived here in Fairport, you know, her mom was kind of down the street there in Newark, down 31. And she was a big part of our lives. She was kind of our ringleader, you know, getting the kids to go camping and and fishing. And she'd go on trips with us. But when I was an engineer, I my second job as an engineer, I was a field engineer. I didn't have an office. I worked every day in the old economy, power plants, 
paper mills, chemical plants, steel mills. Uh, and um, I did a lot of drive time on the thruway, and Beth loved Bob Brinker. Um, Bob Brinker did a three-hour show on Saturdays, three hours on Sundays, and she would tape it for me. And she was meticulous. She would literally stop at the commercials. So I had a nice continuous tape. And um, so it made my drives productive. And yes, the engineer in me, re- I loved what he was saying. It wasn't just a kind of a, there's a lot of financial radio shows and it's a financial planner, you know, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. But it's kind of somebody telling you um, about the markets or whatever. But with Bob, I could tell he had a process and that really appealed to the engineer in me. Mm-hmm. And I literally took notes and I, once in a while in his stories, he would give you a piece of his puzzle. And I created a three ring binder that kind of showed this is his framework. And then- How it, were you with finances before then? Well, I think I've always had the bug. I always realized that money can grow. Okay. And if money can grow, you want to start setting it aside early. So but this it w- wasn't one of those aha moments where you were struggling to pay your bills and then the aha moment came. This was- it was always there. You always had some semblance of a... I guess I was always fortunate enough that, you know, I came out of school with an engineering degree, so I had a job right out of the gate. Ah. It was with General Electric, you know, at the time, making I think the largest money. public company yeah. in the world. It was in the Naval Nuclear Program, making submarines and aircraft carriers, but it, I hated it. I hated it from the first minute. And that gets to your original question, that I made some switches, and that's... That was a big part of my career path. It was truly a path. I, I, I constantly reinvented myself or figured out how I could leverage what was my skill set and where I recognizing where I was weak. But, you know, so I, I was an engineer and I was initially saving, but like I would be obsessive about it. Like I would save first. I would just write the check, you know, to the mutual fund and then like call my dad and say, hey, I did it again, but I kind of saved too much and I can't pay my mortgage. <gasps> Can you front me 500 for a week? (laughs) Really? Oh, my gosh. When do you ever hear that? I saved too much. Was it a battle in the house with your wife, or was she completely on board with the let's save first? My wife is totally on board with that. She grew up, you know, in kind of rural, um, you know, Wayne County, and appreciating what it took to put food on the table and how to split it up amongst the kids and you know she she gets she spends money but she spends a lot of money on other people she's a big gift giver and she's Mm -hmm. um but she was always really frugal now she doesn't like the finances so you know we have a you know division of labor just because it just happened that way i like it and she doesn't really like to see the numbers or the risks in the market or things like that but we both share the same value of hey let's save first and when she works, she's been a stay-at-home mom, but when she works, um, she, we, we just pretended we had one income. So we, we saved what she made. So it's always, it was part of our family mentality. And that's in your book. Yeah. You say rework the way you structure. It's first save, then everything else. Not pay everything, then save. Yeah, you know, I didn't come up with that, but it was, yeah, I think it's really one of the first classic books in finance, um, The Richest Man in Babylon, which is a great book. Because it it really tells great lessons through stories. And that was, hey, save first. Just, you know, back then it was if you made 10 coins, just put one away and you will find a way to live off the other nine. And uh, so I I get through it a little bit mathematically, but the book is not deep into math. That's one of the things I think is unique and good about it. But I do 
show a bit of an equation, right? I want you to think about your income, try mm-hmm. to maximize it, but think about your income and then income minus savings, saves first, minus needs equal wants. So I really want people to think about their needs, but there's always room to even fine tune needs. You know, yes, a house or a roof over your head is a need, but you know, some of us overdo that and reach. True needs are, you know, food, but not eating out every night. It's a lot of money to eat out every night. So, yeah. You said something that this is why I started the podcast. A lot of women are like your wife who, I have too many things going on. I'm just going to delegate it. My husband's interested in it. I don't want to deal with those numbers. And that's why I started this podcast, because I feel like women should be more involved, at least basic knowledge. And I'm sure you do include your wife in the decision-making. And We have a clipboard where we still write down everything we spend. You know, there's only so many times in a day you pull out the wallet yeah. or the credit card. But we we like to still know the situation. And she's really involved in that. She doesn't really like um, the investing side. That is a typical relationship. I mean, there's always one person to take the lead. You know, it just so happens yeah. to be more often the guys because yeah. you guys, I don't know, for some I, I reason. Think, I hate to generalize, but I think your comment is really correct in most families. And, you know, yeah. when my dad passed away, I think my mom was that classic mom yeah. who, 50s wife, who didn't do any of it. And she really struggled to... You know, now she's super proud of balancing the checkbook or mm, using an ATM, yeah. and it's and but she was never involved in really saving or investing. And, or yeah, what we advice do. would you give to people who are like, well, you know, I, I just don't have time. I think I think you have to, and I think the whole book is really making daily decisions to save, and I think it's a lifestyle choice, and I think that is really my overarching takeaway, which mm-hmm. is. Financial literacy can be a tool to better life outcomes, like really, literally better life outcomes. And I think when people hear me say that, they often think, oh, he just said money buys you happiness. And I didn't say that. I mean, if you Google bankrupt celebrities and sports stars, it's a long list of people who made $10 million, but somehow spent 12, you know, so it requires effort. I think it's a lifestyle choice. It's daily decisions. And it really, you can determine your path. And I I talk about that early in the book, which I think there's a virtuous cycle or a potential virtuous cycle where if you can achieve your financial goals, you can take more control of your life. And a lot of people don't have a lot of control of their lives right now. We live in this kind of frantic, false sense of urgency, staring at our phone type of existence. Mm -hmm. But it really is kind of frantic. We're out of control. If we can take a little more control, those are the people that really kind of unlock their potential, which sounds pretty lofty for a, you know, kind of black and white engineer. But, you know, I'm not like a, a motivational speaker, but I do think you can really unlock your potential by taking a little more control of your life. But that's where I start to hit the first, you know, roadblock when I talk with people, because you say financial literacy and their eyes just glaze over. It's a painful term. They just know it or think it's tedious and academic and all about math. And so my challenge is to show them, hey, it's not. It really is a tool to a better life. And it's a daily lifestyle choice. And you can do it. And if you're a young audience, if you're 18 and I'm in your classroom and you shut down because I say financial literacy, because you assume you're way too young to hear this message, you're not at all. Because some of the biggest decisions you ever make, you're making 
at 18, 19. These kids that are choosing a school based purely on emotion and go into a ton of debt and can't save a penny in their 20s when they should be saving because it could really grow by the time they're 60. That's really what fired me up to write the book, frankly. Let's go there. Let's keep your fire burning because I know this is a hot (laughs) button for you, college. And I'm living it right now. I have a 15-year-old and I've all along have openly talked to her. Listen, you're going to be strategic about this. I don't give a damn what the campus looks like. I don't care if you feel like you fit at this campus. It comes down to money. What can you afford? What's going to land you the job, right? But that's not the popular way to approach this. And you're fighting with the, I don't know, the stigma around going to certain schools versus others, right? They put the big sign in the high school hallway, who's going where, And it almost is like if I don't go to the, quote, brand name, I feel like I'm not doing it right. You're you're absolutely right. And, you know, once again, where I kind of come back to I'm not not really naturally a motivational speaker. I'm kind of this black and white, tedious engineer and analyst for 35 years. But I really do try to send this message to people that, hey, you are it's all about you, really. It's, It's not where you go to school. And I really want you to realize by far and away, the top priority is to get a job and a career yeah. and not a degree. So how'd and you approach it? Because you have kids. Kid, one kid? I have two kids. Two so kids. Yeah. And how old are they now? Uh, Luke is 24 and Jill is 22. They're okay. both out of school. So you, okay, you've been there, done that, freshly still on your mind. How did you approach it? Probably not perfectly. You know, that's one of the messages from my book. This is surely not somebody just kind of up on a pedestal lecturing people how they should live like I lived because um, I probably did not ask them some of the same questions you know like for my son he I would say he was uniquely passionate really okay. focused laser focused and um, it was hard to get in his way you know but in the end he maybe he I got lucky because it, it took care of itself like he picked such a unique school and it was a brand new university that they gave him a big scholarship, you know, and uh, well, because he had great grades, but it's also a new school and they were trying to entice people to go there. He actually went to school internationally. Um, and my daughter was also an excellent student. And um, the lesson there, we did apply some of what was in the book. You know, she got into multiple schools. One she really didn't want to go to, but she applied to. They gave her a great scholarship and we wrote a, a letter telling the school she wanted to go to about that great scholarship and tried to leverage that and said, hey, you know, throw her a bone. And they did. Was there one thing that you really said, oh, gosh, I got to I got to tell people about this. This was the biggest mistake. Yeah, I think as a family, we weren't as proactive as I encourage people to be in the book. Okay. And and frankly, you were implying that you are. So you're sounds like you're having much, though. (laughs) No, I encourage it. I think what I'm trying to encourage in the book is literally don't visit schools you can't afford. You know, if you know Ithaca, if you go to Ithaca on an October day and the sun's out and the colors are out, who is not going to fall in love with Ithaca? Sure. And there are some great degree programs in Ithaca, but there are some others that maybe maybe that's not the school where you really need to go for that, but you're going to pay almost sixty thousand dollars a year. And, you know, you know, back in the early 80s when I was 18, I was a clueless 18-year-old. I went to the U of R, and I just fell in love with this, this, these buildings that had ivy on them. You know, it looked kind of cool. And I'm not sure I put any thought into it, and I didn't know how expensive it was. So I also, in my book, really encourage 
parents and kids to have an open conversation. Parents need to tell the kids, too, the finances. You know, open the books a little bit. Don't be embarrassed about it. You guys, and I also encourage parents to segregate or separate what they saved for college versus what they saved for retirement. Because way too many parents are violating the retirement savings, ah, if yes. not totally ruining the retirement savings. So it's a scary percentage. It it really yeah. is. You know, you hear about this one point five or six trillion in debt, and that doesn't include these parent loans and the second mortgages and all these other ways that people are wrecking their retirement dreams. So, you know, my mom and dad really didn't talk to me about it. I didn't ask. I was too clueless. I didn't know how expensive the U of R was. When I learned it later, I said, okay, give me those loans. And, you know, I do have a job here with GE. I'll pay the, the debt back. It was technically my dad's, but I, oh, I took the loans. Okay. Um, but, hey, you know, I was paying them back 10 years or so. And I don't want kids to do that because, you know, I, my book is not about math. I really try to shy away from the math. But I do show a little bit of how money can grow. But I also show the double whammy of debt. Like, not only are you paying back that debt, but it's a missed opportunity to be saving. So, you know, the average kid graduates college with 30000 in debt. Some families are over 100000 in debt. Let's just talk about a $10,000 chunk of debt. If you could, you know, if you have a $10,000 chunk of debt, you've got to pay that 10000 back. But you also pay about 4000 in interest with current market and uh, environment. Yeah. So what I'm saying is if you're paying back 4,000 in interest on a $10,000 loan in your twenties, that's about $120 a month. If, if instead you were saving $120 a month for those 10 years under very reasonable assumptions, by the time you're 60, that could be over a hundred thousand dollars. So that's real money. So I really want kids to be saving or young adults to be saving in their twenties to not to just be hoping their debt is forgiven. Yeah. You know. Change the mindset and, and stop following the herd. Exactly. Yeah. Now, do you believe kids should have some skin in the game when it comes to college? Do you think that parents should try to set them on their way after college debt free? Or do you think that kids should put the bill a little bit at least? Yeah, it's probably a bit of a controversial topic in my book because I, I actually, I explicitly bring up that topic and I'm of the view that skin in the game being debt is not the right way to do it. Mm. Yeah. I'd rather have the conversation and say, Hey, 18 year old, I want you to know how expensive this is. And I want us to, I want you to realize, look, the real focus is a job. Really, really think about what you're passionate about. Pursue your passions. That old saying, you know, if, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. It's really, really true. But if you can get a job you really love, and I encourage them to then do some research and figure out the potential earnings power associated with that, mm. and then kind of size the debt, and I give some rules of thumb, to size the debt so that they would be able to pay it off on their earnings potential. I think just having a good, mature financial discussion with them is a skin in the game. They're, you're treating them like an adult, and you're showing them the real goal should be saving in your 20s. Yeah. So. To just say, hey, you're an adult because you have debt in your 20s, to me, it's not ideal. Yeah. Or at least yeah. a minimal amount of debt. Like, I, I don't say, hey, you should have no debt. But I try to encourage, hey, really go to a school you can afford. Get creative. Don't be afraid of going to a community school for two years. Um, the just, last two years is all that, or last year is all that matters. Really, that's what's on your diploma. And maybe that doesn't even matter. If you know your career choice is going to require a master's degree, there's a lot of career choices where you are almost certain it's going to require a master's degree. 
hey, all you really need are good grades and a good entrance exam. And you'll go to the graduate school you want, and, and that's the name people are going to look at, the employer's going to look at. You know, a lot of the media attention or the politics of it are most of the conversation is about loan availability and loan forgiveness and free school. And I'm kind of like boiling thinking, why isn't every article entitled, you know, why is Syracuse $74,000? You know, whatever. I just think these costs are really, really high. Almost right. unjustifiably. You are right. We are focusing on the wrong side of this argument. I think we often talk symptoms, right? Most of the mm-hmm. political debate is on health care is the coverage and not why is our country paying the most. I mean, yeah. look, I had a Wall Street job for 20 years. You would think I'm Mr. Free Markets and Profit Maximization. But no, I, I think that industry is unbelievably, if not ridiculously, profit-focused and the patients yeah. paid. It's a weird industry, right? We don't even know what we're paying or people pay different things for the same procedure. There's no transparency. And, and I think college is a bit like that. So, you know, my book is really in three sections. The whole book is to get people to save money, but only one section is on how to save and why we have to save. The, the other two sections are acknowledging you have to be in the position to save. And if you have too much student debt, you can't even start. And if you can't get a job, and hold a good job, you can't yeah. even start. So I have whole sections on the career choice, the college choice, minimizing debt, and how to keep a job in this changing world we live in. I really make the point that you you have to just keep investing in yourself. That even if, no matter what school you went to or how well you did, um, once you get that first job, you've got to just constantly keep investing in yourself and realizing that you have to assess your own skills. Your Sherpa is the book and the website. So the website would be go.yourfinancialsherpa.com. So go.yourfinancialsherpa.com. Perfect. So if you're not 100% confident in your financial literacy, this will help you. Plus, you can pass it on to your kids as well. And you can tell yourself that the message is really for the kids you can learn something. You just Absolutely. don't have to admit it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to tell them that you're learning right. alongside them. <laughs> but, or you could just be open and say, hey, I made mistakes too. Let's learn this together. Absolutely. Why not? Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for having me. This is great. Actually, this is the perfect time to let your kids go on Jeff's website, go.yourfinancialsherpa.com, because, you know, they got some extra time on their hands now that they're home from school perfect opportunity to get them started on this. Jeff was supposed to do a a book signing in the next few weeks here, but that obviously got canceled. But he does still want to take care of you guys. So if you do end up buying the book, just email him. Tell him that you were listening to this episode and he's going to take care of the first 25 people with free audio lessons. Okay. There is a whole lot of uncertainty right now. If you have been laid off from work or if you're feeling the financial pressure in any way, always reach out to us. We'll try to give you some guidance and peace of mind. We'll do what we can to help you. Stay healthy, stay inside, check in on your older family members, and we'll chat next week. Cheers to being financially confident women. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the 7 Figures podcast. Smart money strategies for women.
Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Do you know your auto loan rate? At Advantage Federal Credit Union, auto loan rates are as low as 2.79%. 